This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going well, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Uh, <laughs> this is, uh, is going to be my last day in the office for a while, because I have another baby that's coming. Yeah. Either this weekend or Monday for sure. And uh, then I'm, I'm going to be out for a bit. So listeners, get your, get your weekly dose of Andrew's voice now, because it'll be a little <laughs> bit till you hear me again. Luckily, you can dig through all of our archives and listen to Andrew at any time yeah, you want. Yeah, you can listen to hundreds of hours of my voice, <laughs> which is weird. It's, I, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but it is a weird thing to think about that, like, there are people who have heard your voice more than anybody else but, like, your mom and dad. Because if, <laughs> if you've listened to every episode of this podcast, you've heard my voice more than... I don't know you're probably like the fourth most listened to my voice person <laughs> in the world next to my parents and my wife and then me because i'm on the podcast with you <laughs> that's true you've heard my voice for most of this as well so it is just a weird thing to do it's also weird to be recognized out in the street but not until after i've talked like people will see me for 10 minutes and then i'll open my mouth and they'll go oh you're the podcast guy like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, that's who I am. Yep, that is me. That's my whole identity. The listeners should know, Andrew has been on, like, Baby Watch for a couple of weeks now. So he is at the at the end of his rope, and he's been doing yes. a great job working through it all while um, just waiting for any moment to potentially have a child. Or now, hopefully, it goes to the scheduled time on Monday, and, and you have a great relaxed weekend. Yeah, it is going <laughs> to be a, a weird thing to wake up on Monday go to the hospital and have a baby like to just wake up and go today's the day we're going to have a baby yeah that's a very weird thing because you're always on pins and needles in this last trimester just waiting for the day that it happens our son he was born at 37 plus 2 so he was early and if our daughter now makes it all the way then that that was unlikely yeah so it, it has been just you know Ooh, a wild ride. But uh, <laughs> I think that we've been able to do a lot in the last couple of weeks while I've been waiting. The autumn issue of the Door County Living Magazine will be coming out soon. We yeah. just put that to bed yesterday and uh, really excited for people to to read it. There's some really cool stories in it. So this is my Bon Voyage episode of the podcast for a little bit. And uh, I think we have some cool things to talk about to celebrate. Uh, <laughs> we have some uh, potential interesting changes for some uh, kind of iconic Door County areas. Yeah. Pick a, pick a number, one through five. Three. Okay, we're going to talk about the Village Hall first. <laughs> so up in Sister Bay, uh, the Village Hall is kind of across from Al Johnson's. Is that kind of like stone building? Yes. And uh, not a lot happens in there, apparently, and uh, there might be some plans to do something with it, right? Yeah, for a, for a building named the Village Hall, it's pretty underused. Uh, it was built in 1941, I believe. And, you know, it's, Sister Bay doesn't have a lot of old school buildings, like in terms of like a, it's not like Ephraim, right? Where Ephraim has a look, it's got these historic structures that define the persona of Ephraim. Sister Bay has never really had that, but some people have always been tied to kind of the, the village hall and the post office that have that stone look to them. But they're not all that old. Like I said, they only date till about 1940. And, what the the village has grappled with for a number of years is what to do with the village hall, especially once they started buying up the waterfront and opening up the waterfront. 
they this came up in like 2007, 2008, the idea of, well, do we move the Village Hall building or do we just tear it down? Does it have significance? Ultimately, they kind of punted on that decision at the time and just said, well, we don't have the money to do something else with it anyway at the moment, and we might as well just keep using it for what we can. And so it's been sticking around. And now, now they're trying to figure out what to do with it. And the plan commission had a discussion in July in which the plan commission kind of unanimously reached a consensus that they don't want to invest more money into that existing building. And instead they want to look at taking it down and, and doing something new there. What is normally done at village halls? Like what are they normally used for? And is this sister Bay's only village hall or is it kind of like Gibraltar where there's an old village hall? It's sort of like Gibraltar, although Gibraltar built a new so the old village hall in Gibraltar is down by Clark Park, down by the water. And the new community building is it hosts the post office, the library, and their government offices. And that's kind of in the center of town. It's actually on the location that was once where the high school was. Gibraltar High School used to be located. Huh. Kind of across from the beach. Sister Bay is somewhat similar in that they have the old village hall, which is only used for certain events. And then all the, the business of the village takes place in their admin building, which is kind of tucked in another awkward, tiny building behind Husby's. And then most of their meetings, if they're of any size, or if they do a village board meeting, now they're all virtual still, but they usually hold them in the fire station, which has a more modern meeting room that can accommodate probably comfortably about 70 people, maybe more. But then the old village hall... I think the capacity is around 100, but it's a it's an awkward 100. Like it's got it's not as big as the Bailey's Harbor Town Hall and it's not uh, it has not been kept up over the years the way the Bailey's Harbor Town Hall has been where they've invested money and modernized some of the offices and stuff. They've had problems with water damage in the basement, water leakage into the basement, bathroom issues, the elevator doesn't always work, so it's not really accessible for certain people and it's just not all that big. So Sister Bay, being the second largest community in the county, has a very small town hall. So it only gets used for the occasional meeting. Northern Door Pride has used it for a couple of different events. There will be occasionally like a dance thing in there. But the other awkward thing about it is it's in a prime spot in the center of town on the waterfront with no windows taking advantage of the view of the waterfront. So here's where I would normally offer a, you know, a funny solution. But I actually have a <laughs> decent solution for this one. Back when I first moved up here, we, we had a theater company that did shows up here for one year. And one of the shows we did in the old Gibraltar Town Hall. Mm. And it was a show about vaudeville, which is a, a period of American theater back in the, you know, 20s and 30s. It was kind of situated, you know, right as American popular culture was kind of coming into its own. And before radio and television were able to totally put the kibosh on it, right? It was American entertainment. It was what you did for fun if you weren't going to a sporting event. And the interesting thing about vaudeville shows is most of the companies were touring and they would go to theaters all over America. And because they were low budget and they were like variety shows, they would just use for a backdrop whatever was hanging at the back of that theater at the time. And the vast majority of those were like, you know, classical backdrops for Shakespeare and stuff, big painted backdrops of like medieval villages and that kind of thing. So it's a very weird aesthetic if you look up old recorded vaudeville <laughs> because they're all standing in front of these like Shakespeare backdrops. And when we did the show in the old Gibraltar Hall, we didn't have a set, 
but there was an old Shakespeare backdrop hanging up in the back of the theater that we pulled <laughs> out and used exactly the way that they would have back in the 20s. So my recommendation for the Village Hall is just let theater companies use it. I know that the old Gibraltar Village Hall got used by Northern Sky for many years mm-hmm. uh, in their off season. Open it up for, for other people to come in and do stuff. There are some weird regulations because we weren't able to charge tickets for it. We had to do at-will donations. Hmm. But figure that out and then just, you know, well, I don't performances think, happen. I don't think they'd have any problem with allowing other people to use it. The Door County Film Festival has used it for a number of years. But even then, they've had... They've now had trouble using it because of the facilities and because they need some upgrades. And basically, if they're going to keep it around, it sounds like they need to spend some money on it. And then the choice becomes, do you spend money on this or do you make something new and grander, prettier, more useful? You know, they Sister Bay's got this weird hodgepodge. Like I said, you have the admin building, you have the fire station in a separate building, you have a library in a separate building, you have the parks and facilities and another separate building, and the Village Hall. Those are all downtown, and the post office. So those are five properties I just rattled off in different places. So you're losing some efficiencies there by having everyone spaced out. And if you, if anyone's ever been in the admin building, that's where they used to have the village meetings, and that's just kind of sprawled into more offices and things. But what they've talked about is moving the admin facilities to the property, the, what's called the Wilsey property, out by the sports complex, where they bought 55 acres there. And they want to probably consolidate a lot of those things, the parks, the admin out there, and potentially build a newer, larger meeting space out there. That would be several years away. The village hall then becomes either superfluous or needs something else. I mean, there is, they have looked at, I think, modernizing the bathrooms and things like that, but also, hey, is there a way to blow out the back side of it and open it up to the waterfront with glass windows and everything so you can actually take advantage of the view. They also need a visitor center. Right now the visitor center is they have one in the old schoolhouse that's on the hill. Not not probably the best place to have a visitor center. It's on that that steep hill. Like no people are going to purposely walk all the way up the hill just to find out information about the stuff they wanted to get down the hill or up at the top. So right now they rent space for the visitor center in the Casperson funeral home building that is now owned by Al Johnson's. And one of the thoughts was, well, what if they, if they took the village hall down and built something new that was glass that would not obstruct the view of the waterfront, but that could be your visitor center maybe and that spot. So there's a lot of different ideas being thrown out. My knee jerk reaction on something like this is to want to hold on to that old building and want to hold on to that history to some extent. And I always have to battle in my own head of like, am I just being too tied or too nostalgic, but versus, hey, maybe just something better could be built. You know, I was that way with the Crest Pavilion. I was a doubter on that thing. And then you, it's a beautiful building. It's great. I love it there. So I always have to question myself on those types of things. So they are going to discuss this next week. I think Tuesday's plan commission meeting, this will come up and we'll see what the, the village decides to do. It doesn't sound like anything would be imminent. It's not like the village hall is coming down this month or this fall, but they're laying the groundwork for what may happen in the future. They've also talked about moving the post office out to the Wiltsey property and taking that off of the waterfront, which would potentially add something else there as well, or just open up more park space. Yeah. Well, if you, uh, if you do go to the meeting, feel free to recommend my very specific niche theater performance <laughs> argument for it, because it's a really great space for a very particular type of performance. <laughs> you know, and speaking of that, like if you have theater down there, 
this came up at the meeting where people said, you know, we only, I think Louise Housen said that they, last year it was host, it hosted seven events all year. So it's not like it's getting a hundred uses and, and all this history. She, I think the way she put it is people love that building, but nobody goes there. <laughs> so it's kind of nostalgic, but they don't, people don't find a purpose for it. But if they did, one thing she said is like, there's no parking lot for it. So if you have a show that attracts 200 people, where do they park? It's all, they're all going to use the street parking or infringe on neighboring businesses, parking lots. Now that doesn't mean I, I am not a proponent of building a huge parking lot for something like that. And Nate Bell actually had a great point about this. He goes, well, it's not just that there's not parking. It's that there's no other access. We don't have a good way for people to bike there necessarily. We don't provide pedestrian walkways from a lot of the housing that's in the area to get them to the downtown. So even if you didn't want to drive because there's no parking lot, there's not these other avenues to get there, which is good. I mean, there's not even a bike rack there, but the accessibility structure, because it's built in that old style where that main floor, you have to walk up a bunch of steps to get into it. So now you have the side elevator. And if that side elevator doesn't work, it becomes problematic to really be welcoming to people in that space as it exists now. So it's not a big deal. Honestly, in the, in the grand scheme of issues and problems, it's not the, the biggest thing, but I think it'll probably be a pretty robust discussion in Sister Bay as they, they go down this path. All right. Well, we will take a break. And then when we come back, I want to talk about the deadliest intersection in Door County. <laughs> there, how's that for uh, get people to listen after the break? This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. All right, we are back. So there's been some talk about the intersection by Culver's, and I'm very familiar with that intersection. I live right down in that area. I guess I didn't think it was that problematic, but in the scuttlebutt that I've been hearing about it, there's some concerns about it and how and how to address those concerns in terms of traffic and the danger of the intersection and those types of things. So fill me in on the, the discussion. Well, so when we talk about the Culver's intersection, we're talking about the intersection just north of Sturgeon Bay. It's called Gordon Road and 4257 is the technical name. It's problematic because of the left turn aspect. If you are leaving Culver's or that gas station there and you are going toward the highway and you want to take a left turn, which is a lot of people, they're stopping there on their way north. If you want to take a left turn, it can become hard to find a break in traffic because the traffic there is moving. It's, the speed limit is 45 miles an hour. Generally, people are going 55 unless traffic is slowing them down, in which case you have a big bunch up of traffic, people get impatient, and then you try to slip out into traffic in, in a tight spot. And they are, I think this year there have been four pretty significant crashes there. And there's a couple of ways in which this happens. It's either people coming north are maybe not paying attention when somebody is turning left into Culver's, into that gas station. So people have been rear-ended there while somebody else is going to turn left. Somebody behind them just comes up too fast and, and rear-ends them. Or if you're trying to get out and turn left to go north, 
you misjudge traffic or you don't get in, in in time and you get hit and couldn't get T-bone there. There have been some pretty pretty bad accidents there over the years. So the DOT and the County of Door have been talking, the Door County Highway Department and the, the County Board have been talking about what kind of fixes might be available at that intersection to kind of reduce the danger and, and move traffic better. Yeah, the, the other part of it that I think is challenging is that there is a passing lane on mm-hmm. the right for people who are going north. And so... Normally, if somebody's going to turn left into Culver's, that could be your window, right? Oh, I see their turn signals on. I know that they're not going to go any further than me, so I'm going to turn. But then all of a sudden, they've got somebody passing them going 45 and not slowing down, and that's yeah, that's where it can get challenging. Now, that happens on other roads, and it's my biggest pet peeve when people pass on the shoulder, even mm-hmm. though it's technically legal. Mm-hmm. When you have a passing lane like that, it just... It, it's another one of those situations where even though it looks like, okay, it's safe, they've got their turn signal on, they're going to slow down, I know that I can pull out. It's not because you're not seeing the person in your blind spot who's passing them at 45. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tricky intersection. And, and, you know, in the off season, it's not as big a deal. But yeah, if you're going down there in the summertime and, and you're stuck there, you get impatient, you want to turn left, what people who probably know a little bit better are used to doing, and this is one of the s- solutions the county is pursuing right now, is to change Gordon Road so you cannot turn left. So a no left turn there. So you'd have to turn right, and then you go south to the roundabout, which is about a quarter mile, maybe not even, and you just go north after you go around the roundabout. Some people, especially in a rural area, will be like, oh, I got to go out. That's taking me out of my way, or I'm going the wrong direction for this is a waste. And people will get angry about it, I'm sure. But you know, if you're used to more high traffic areas, like having to go a different way or use a frontage road to reaccess a highway is not uncommon. So that is one fix they're looking at. They've also talked to the DOT about potentially putting a roundabout at that intersection. Yeah, I was going to say, if only there wasn't a major traffic project that put some roundabouts in, maybe this one could have been one of the one of them a couple of years ago. Well, so the so this stretch of the highway wasn't included in that that version or that. Uh, that project of the uh, Department of Transportation. But I think this was before you you moved up here, but they put in those roundabouts. And at the time, it was a big controversy in Sturgeon Bay because people hate change. They hate roundabouts. And then once the roundabouts got put in, everyone was like, oh, actually, that was kind of nice. Yeah, <laughs> it was totally fine. It was you actually no complaints. There's very few accidents related right. to them. It was the first year that I moved here, actually, because I remember when we moved here, the, the whole, like, first couple months we were taking the the detour down through Sturgeon Bay. Like oh, I, sure. I, I, re- I remember that, but not remembering why. It's because they're doing the roundabouts. Yeah. And it ended up like, I never hear complaints about them now, but it was a big deal going into it. And so one option would be to put a roundabout down there by the Culver's intersection. And the DOT said, yeah, that could be done and we will talk about it. But basically it's one to $2 million to build a roundabout, which freaking stuns me but there are some things related to that intersection there are some wetlands around there there's a a problematic culvert down there so there's some things at that intersection that make it a little more difficult than usual but yeah the costs are for doing something like that are are really high so the dot has to look at the whole state and say all right where are we best using funds to improve safety or probably too often they're just trying to improve traffic speeds which i would argue shouldn't necessarily be their focus but that's a whole other topic but that Culver's intersection, as dangerous as it is in our sensibilities up here and, and into our minds, it's not all that dangerous in the state's grand scheme of where they're going to spend money to improve safety. So that's why the county is looking at 
you know, the DOT is unlikely to turn around and do a roundabout like next year. So short term fix is to make it a no left turn and only go right to turn around. There's also another option, which would be to slow down the speed there. But the DOT is very loath to reduce traffic speeds on most of their highways. As some listeners might recall, there was a push to slow down traffic at the kind of in front of Maxwell and Braves in Bailey's Harbor because there is some golf cart crossings and things like that there. And DOT basically said that was a non-starter. And that's that's the case throughout the county. There are a lot of places that would like to slow put lower traffic speeds, but then they find out that it's a DOT thing and that just doesn't go anywhere. It's based on accident reports. It's uh, just the traffic volume. And if the traffic volume doesn't hit what they say it needs to be, then they're not going to slow it down. Yeah, but you can't slow down speeds there. That's the first, that's one of two areas where you can go like 90, to 90 over <laughs> because you got a straight shot. If I were going to wave a wand, I'd probably like, I'd love there to be a roundabout there. And I would love there to be a roundabout at the 4257 intersection instead of the stoplights. Moves traffic faster. You don't get the backups. You're not sitting idling and wasting gas. But I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon either. Yeah, this is going to sound nerdy, but you're kind of a like a city planning nerd in this way, too. There's a game called Mini Motorways, hmm. and I don't play it, but I love to watch people play it. Huh. And it's basically just there's two things that appear on the map every you know couple of seconds or a couple of minutes. There's businesses and houses, and you have to find a way to connect the colored houses to the colored businesses in a, an effective and efficient way because the businesses are going to have more and more and more supply that builds up and you have to connect more houses to them to kind of keep the economy running. And if they get too big and they overflow, then you lose. So it becomes this like 30 minute challenge of trying to keep things going for as long as possible and to get the most points while the grid is filling in more and more and more and more. And, just when you think you've got everything perfect, a new development comes in that doesn't have any houses to it. And you have to completely redo traffic to try to get, you know, huh. everything together. And every seven days, just like every minute in the game, you get new types of roadways. You get motorways that can go over the top of all of your existing roadways. You have bridges that can go over water. You have tunnels that can go through rock. And then you have roundabouts, which you can install, and traffic lights that you can install to kind of figure out all of this kind of thing. They're very relaxing to watch. They're a little stressful, especially when you're <laughs> like, ah, they've gotten it perfect. And then something comes in and you're like, no, why would it go right there? <laughs> but it's it's fun to kind of look at these really interesting, complicated cityscapes that form yeah. out of it and trying to keep traffic going. So you learn a lot about like frontage roads and your main outlets and, and trying to keep traffic together and where to put roundabouts to keep things moving and, and where to do traffic lights and how to, you know, best create intersections that don't create stoppages and all that kind of stuff. Because if you don't plan your roads correctly, you're going to get traffic snakes. You're going to get people stuck at stoplights. You're going to get all these things that are preventing the cars from getting to their business on time. And those businesses are going to keep ticking up and up and up until eventually they overflow and you lose. So that's where I come into this conversation. And just like in the game, the best thing to do would be to put in a roundabout. <laughs> or a roundabout or, or get rid of the cars entirely and force people to do it on bike and foot. <laughs> yeah, bike and foot on the highway. That sounds like a good idea. You know, another thing that came out of this, and this is all based on reporting that Deborah Fitzgerald had a great spread in our paper two weeks ago about this. Some great information. 87% of accidents in Door County are caused by or involve Door County residents. So I think there's 
this perception up here that traffic problems are caused by tourists or visitors who are coming up here and don't know what they're doing and sunset gawking and all these things. But I mean, all of our problems are caused by visitors, right? That's what, <laughs> yeah. that's what I hear. That's what, that's what uh, I think we'd like to think. But it turns out that, yeah, overwhelmingly, it's local residents who should know these roads better than anybody who are involved in these accidents. So that was pretty interesting to me. And then, you know, the other thing about that stretch is potential development there. And, you know, we reported about there being uh, the town of Sevastopol making some changes because there's probably going to be a development there between kind of across the street from the Mill Supper Club. There's other talk about potential uses for that land. There's a lot of land there that's up for sale. It is a, it's one of the, the stretches of the county that I'm almost most concerned about from a aesthetic standpoint is I feel like it's probably very likely that from the kind of the crossroads end of the bridge sector to the Mill Supper Club, you might have a lot of what I would consider bad, sprawling, mini mall type development over the next 10 years, which would, you know, to my mind, like I'm not a fan of there just being a bunch of big boxes. You know, that, that's not why necessarily people move to Door County is to, to have that suburban style development. And we have the fleet farm that's moving into the Niswapi area already. And in my lifetime, I've just seen that whole area with these big box developments. It's one opens, an old one closes and sits empty. And then a new one opens and another old one closes. I've seen it, you know, whether it's Pomida or Save a Buck or Kmart. Over the years, it just happens again and again. And so if a fleet farm moves in, does a Lampert's end up empty or that kind of thing. And we play this whack-a-mole game and always chasing that next one. And, oh, this is going to bring tax dollars, going to do this and all that. You know, when Walmart expanded, you just saw a lot of those old stores on 3rd Avenue just kind of, shut down and sit empty for a while. So I do worry about that. And I worry about that for that stretch, because as, as you're looking at that, what to do with that intersection, if you get a bunch more development there, it's not as simple as just fixing that intersection. You got to think like 10 years down the road, are we going to be looking at even more people coming in and off the highway there? And does it end up becoming a 35 mile an hour or 25 mile an hour stretch anyway? Who knows? Right. You know, the, the one area of development that I have been the most curious about just in terms of how it's zoned. I'd love to look at an aerial of it is the, the stretch right down from the first roundabout where Walmart and Econo is and all of those businesses, because I don't know how there's room for more and there keeps being more. I mean, already we have the quick trip that's going up. Mm. The ACE hardware just went up. The T-Mobile store just went up. It's a lot of stuff that's happening in an area where it's like, you look on one side, you see a subway. You look on the other side, you see a house. Then you look right down from the house and there's Walmart. And it, it's like, how is that area broken up that it's just scattershot? It, it looks like if you broke a stained glass window, that would be the zone. <laughs> yeah, you, you got a great point there. I mean, the quick trip thing, and I know a ton of people are super excited about it and the city's super excited about it. I wonder if they will be, if it is as big a deal as people seem to think it is, well, now you're going to have this traffic bottleneck on what people is like a main access point for a lot of things people like to do. So are we going to hear people complaining constantly about traffic now because of the increased traffic to a place like Quick Trip? I don't know. I mean, it's just just speaking off the top of my head here. But yeah, that might that might become a bottleneck there. You know, the Ace Hardware moving. I was kind of surprised that the city incentivized that move because generally the trend in urban planning is to try and keep businesses and entice them to stay in your historic downtowns because that's become great economic and 
livability thing, like to have something downtown that you can walk to and, and not make it car centric. So it's one thing for a business to decide to move. It's weird that the city provided some incentives to do that, unless they have a really good plan for the old location. And I, I haven't seen that, so maybe it, I don't know, but that struck me as odd too. Well, and the, the weirdest thing about the ACE is like, I am used to driving down the road and seeing businesses lined up on either side of it. It almost looks like it is sitting diagonal and almost on top of the T-Mobile store as you're driving <laughs> by it. That's why I want to see it from above. And we won't have images of it from above for a long time, like satellite images. So it just... It's Almost send Brett down there. Yeah, he can he can fly up there. But it, it's just, it's such a weird little intersection, especially when you have the homes that are in there too. Yeah, those little ones tucked in. Yeah, and I, I have to imagine that they were there first, and then all of a sudden <laughs> it was like, uh-oh. Kind of like when we talked about the Costco area and that farm right next to it. Can you imagine having a home in the middle of nowhere, and then somebody builds a Walmart and a grocery store oh, yeah. and an Ace Hardware and, like, bottles you into the concrete? Yeah, it almost forces forces neighborhoods out. I mean, that's what happens again and again. Or forces farms out in the case of Green Bay. But right. Maybe Surgeon Bay too. Anything else on uh, on development or, or anything before we wrap it up? No, I got nothing else. Yeah. I think we're good. I think we. There's been a lot of stuff. It's so funny when you when you follow the news weekly and you report on it because a big story will happen and you're like, wow, this is a big story, and then it just keeps happening for six months, <laughs> and then yeah. you kind of have to go back in. and You're like, oh yeah. I'm sure like three months from now, we're going to be like, oh yeah, we haven't talked about Quick Trip since it opened and it opened three months ago, yeah, even right. though we talked about it a lot in the lead up to it. Yep. We just never talked about it afterwards. You're down there a lot. How how close is it to being open? It It's going really fast, actually. Yeah. They went from spending a lot of time digging up the ground, building the foundation, running all of the utilities and pipes and stuff like that. And then they covered all that back up. And then immediately the wood structure went up, then the panels went on, or the, the plywood, the drywood and stuff. And then now the gas station facade, like the cover, is up, and they've started, like, already finishing the building. So, I mean, all of that stuff happened within a couple of weeks. Hmm. So it's going really quickly. I wouldn't be surprised if it was open by next month with the speed that they're going. Hmm. I don't know what the, the timeline is, but even I'm sure when I go down there, this week, it'll be further along than it was. I should hope so. Yeah. And <laughs> with with Quick Trips, too, I just wanted to, you mentioned the traffic and everything. It doesn't seem like they're content to just have their building. Like, there's a lot of small footprint gas stations, even in Door County. Mm-hmm. Quick Trip kind of sprawls. They put up, like, a whole, like, a parking lot and everything. It, it yeah. becomes this big kind of complex in a way. Yeah. So it's like I, a, a, it's, a, its own little mini mall. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, and like when you think of even the gas station that's just up the road from it, it has a pretty small footprint when you think about it. The yeah. one that like it's right really shoehorned in. Yeah. Whereas this one is set back really far from the road. There's a whole like area for it. I mean, even Bailey's fifty seven, it's pretty the gas stations are really condensed, but Quick Trip really likes to kind of spread out and create its own area. So I wonder how the parking lot will integrate into traffic. It may be smoother than you might think just because Maybe. they have all of that room to do it. And there is a stoplight there. Yeah. Which is probably going to frustrate people <laughs> as they get backed up at the stoplight. But Right. Well, I think that that's going to do it for us this week, Miles. Thanks for chatting with me. And uh, I'll chat with you again in probably three weeks. Yeah. As a new dad again. Yeah. So next time you hear me on the podcast, I'll be like, hello and welcome to the Dark Honey Bulls podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Andrew Clayton. And you need a nap. Thank you.
All right, see you, Miles. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.